Welcome to the Talent Acquisition Innovators Radio, the podcast for talent acquisition aficionados, HR lovers, and recruitment professionals out there looking to get inspired and challenge traditional approaches to hiring. Here, we'll discuss the ins and outs of the recruitment process, engaging fresh talent, managing tough internal hiring dilemmas, and of course, the future of talent acquisition. I'm your host, Sim Samra from Recruitee. I'll be quizzing the experts, asking the burning questions, and of course, bringing you great guests each episode. By the end of every episode, we'll offer a few hypotheticals and of course, tips to take back to your team and workplace. Welcome to our podcast. In today's episode, uh, we'll be discussing a little bit about the habits of highly successful recruiters. And I'm joined by Steve Guest. He's a newly published author. And um, I'm going to let you quickly introduce yourself to our listeners. Hi there. I'm Steve Guest. As you could or will potentially tell from the Brummy Dorset tones, I'm based in the West Midlands in the UK. I've been recruiting for around 14 years now, predominantly within construction. I've specialised in permanent commercial placements for the last 14 years, grown and built regions and brands for recruitment businesses, managed and mentored a number of high-performing consultants over that time. Uh, And as you say, newly published author, just published my first book called Top Biller, The Life of a Recruiter. Um, which is doing surprisingly well. Um, truly humbling journey, really. Let's kick off with the book. The title of your book is Top Biller, The Life of a Recruiter. Can you explain to our listeners what a top biller means? For me, a top biller is somebody that is, is basically a high achiever, a high performer, someone who excels above and beyond the expectation, somebody that it can come in various guises. You could be a top perm biller, a top temp biller. You could be a regional record holder. It's all manner of these things. And I think it's really that somebody that just goes out of their way to overachieve and outperform. What traits make someone a top biller? And do recruiters need to have all of them to succeed? The general obvious traits that I think a top biller needs is high levels of motivation, high ambition. They need to be hard workers. They need to graft at what they do, almost have that never give up attitude. They need to be the best, someone that thrives on on competition and is insanely driven to succeed. I would say top billers always have those traits, but at the same time, I think individuals can get there in different ways. I am very much process procedure spreadsheet savvy, very structured in my approach. And I got to being a top performer from that process. I've worked with top billing performing consultants that have no process. They're just very good salespeople and leave a raft of administration problems behind them that people will clear up. But it's really down to that individual character. So do you class yourself as a bit of a grafter? I'm definitely a grafter definitely a workaholic and constantly trying to look for ways to improve, self-educating and learning better and more efficient ways to work. Do you ever pick up any sort of self-development courses or do you ever look into programs that can continue helping you build your skills and experience? All, All the time. Yeah, I'm constantly looking at resources online. I've got various mentors, whether that be 
your typical kind of motivational or wealth mentors, Tony Robbins, Gary Vee, all the normal sorts of names you'd expect to see. And I'm constantly looking to to put myself out of my comfort zone to improve. Um, I think we as humans have very much kind of self-limiting beliefs half the time and we are only as good as perhaps the audience that we have around us or our own understanding. So I think you have to put yourself out there to continuously grow. You've had quite a few challenges in your journey to becoming a successful recruiter. Can you share some of your key experiences that have led to your successes today? My very first introduction into recruitment, back, my background, I'm a qualified strategic buyer. Um, I was dealing with multi-million pound framework contracts and I went for an interview with Hayes Purchasing and Supply, thinking that was the natural, logical progression. First interview went really well. They asked me to come back for a second interview, actually take part in their five-a-side football team afterwards, football match afterwards. So I thought I'd actually got the role. Went for the second interview and was told I wasn't salesy enough, wasn't loud enough, didn't fit the type of person that they were looking for. And I left the interview absolutely gutted and thought, that was it. What do I do now? I actually went across the street to Hayes Construction Property, which was a competitor brand within the same business, and said, take me on and I'll prove them wrong. So actually, my first introduction, the the part where I was rejected, I actually used as my fuel to make me the, the high performer that I was. From that point, I was the quickest trainee to get promoted, the quickest consultant to get promoted. I still hold the regional record for perm placements and perm billings. And I used to go back to the Hayes Person Supply and remind them what they what they could have had. And so that was my biggest, probably, first lesson. Moving on from there, I opened a new brand and a new regional business uh, called Fast Track Management Services in 2008. And that, obviously, 2008 being a recession, UK construction market being one of the hardest hit industries within that recession. And I was sat there building a new brand, specialising in perm construction recruitment, new office, a very um, high overhead in terms of the office in the centre of Birmingham that we'd, we'd taken on, and a six-month restrictive covenant. And it was, it was really difficult. And I think this resemblance within today's climate if I go back to 2008 where it was about creating relationships it was having empathy it was talking to clients and candidates with compassion because the per market wasn't there um, yeah but you had to ensure that you kept hold of your market in any way that you could and you had to adapt within that market to make sure you could still place people and it's very difficult but what it also allowed you to do was create the personal brand, create the brand for the business and the company, but actually then deliver upon a process that perhaps worked better for our clients and candidates and actually saw us through the recession, which made the business stronger. Well, we're currently in a situation where um, businesses are taking a hit. So I just want to find out how have you been consulting your business partners and clients about their marketplace during this global health crisis we're currently going through? Certainly over the last few weeks, I've had to kind of change my direction slightly. The, the current construction per market isn't happening. And what I've looked at doing 
is going out to recruitment consultants that are perhaps now finding themselves having to work from home in very unusual circumstances. And I've had almost like counselling calls where I've helped them. I've never worked with them. I don't know them other than perhaps through LinkedIn or social media, but I've offered my services to help give them a plan. I've sent out my daily, weekly, monthly planners. I've sent out my reading lists and I've suggested ways in which they can utilise the the time that they're at home, whether that's through furlough or actually being laid off or being at home and not having any market or structure to work to. I think this current climate needs everyone to pull together and actually just reassess where they are and offer as much value and as as much content as possible to get everybody through it. As I say, I'm, I'm trying to add value as much as possible out there and offering my, my experience to people who perhaps just need a bit of a, a pep talk. It might be an arm around the shoulder, or it might just be someone that needs a bit of a rant. What would you say to recruiters who feel a bit lost about what to do next and are struggling to adapt with the current situation? It's very strange times. And, and if you're sat there, such as, as I am, thinking, well, where's my market? Where's my placements? There's no jobs coming through. What do I do? I think you utilise the time to perhaps plan and prepare for when the market comes back. You could write better job ads. You could write up job specs. You could basically make sure that when you go back to work, your desk, your knowledge, your market experience is far better than it was when you left. You've now got the time where you can actually focus in on certain aspects that you wouldn't normally have time to do because you're concentrating on your normal daily KPIs. You could start and write a blog. You could do market research. You could work on your own personal self-development or self-improvement. Start looking at your structure and your processes where you're working efficiently and effectively before. What could you do when you go back to make sure that you manage your time better? You could go out and look at helping people with their CVs. I'd say one of the main things that people should still be doing is they should still be active and you should still be talking to your clients and candidates. They're in the same boat. So build that relationship. Start talking to them, not in a salesy way, but actually just start finding out what's happening with them. What are their worries? What are their concerns? How are their business businesses coping? How are they coping being an employee? What's been said to them in terms of potentially going back or working? It's a real opportunity to just um, show your empathy. Massively. I say it helped grow the business I set up in 2008 by doing exactly that. You have a lot of time to sit back and really assess where you are and what you're looking to do and how you're going to add value. So the biggest thing you can do at the moment is stay relevant, stay in the market and make sure you're seen and heard to be doing the right thing in a way that shows empathy and not going in there like a bull in a china shop being salesy because that just won't work. How do you organize your clients? Do you have some tips on recruitment project management that you could share with our listeners? Um, In terms of my organization of clients, I would say it's broken down in various ways. You'd have clients that over 14 years I've built excellent relationships with and I know I could pick up the phone regardless of situation or conversation and just have a normal chat with them. So I organise clients by way of relationship 
how busy they've been or how much recruitment that, that we actually get through with them, how exclusive I get to work with them. Um, I also break my clients down into sectors and markets because I deal with construction as a whole. I will have major main contractors down to the smallest regional build and specialist subcontractors. So they've broken down into various aspects as well. Certainly, again, relating it back to the current climate, within that we'll have certain businesses that are still very busy, the facilities side, the maintenance side, if you're involved with healthcare or hospitals, there's still active projects working there. Whereas perhaps other construction areas, housing or specifically main contractor big projects, I've just ground to a halt. So it's, it's balancing that aspect of, of your market as well. To succeed in recruitment, do you think recruiters should try out different roles within the sector? And by that, I mean trying in-house recruitment, agency, freelancing to help find their niche. That's a tricky question. I've always recruited the same market for 14 years. And when I've taken consultants on and mentored and managed them, I believe as long as the market is big enough and the opportunities are there, the niche almost is irrelevant because you make it your niche because you have to be, in my experience, the biggest, the best, the hardest worker, the person that goes out and finds the opportunity. The flip side to that is I've interviewed a lot of consultants that were perhaps in the wrong environment where they were and you can see potential for them doing something different. You can instantly talk to a consultant, in my experience, and know if they're a temp consultant or a perm consultant. I am definitely a perm consultant. Through and through perm, my brain works a lot slower than temp consultants. I have to almost kind of let it play through in terms of CVs, process, everything else, and by which time a temp consultant will have already filled the role. So there's personality traits that will suit certain markets or certain types of recruitment. In terms of in-house and recruitment agency, it's a difficult one because for me, I like the fact that you can go out to a market, map it out and get to know all the competitors. Um, I think internal, you're working for one business and trying to find the best people for that company. And I think there's different issues and positives for, for both. Um, so for me, I think you find a niche and you work hard to master it. Once you've mastered it, it becomes that niche, regardless of what area of recruitment you work in. Okay. What was your biggest and most surprising learning over the course of your career? The biggest thing, I think, or the biggest turning point for me, I actually talk about it in my book as well, is a number of years ago, I had an issue where I had a preferred supply agreement coming coming, and we used to send the documents down to a lady that completed all of the paperwork and I'd sent it down. I hadn't chased it. It was due in three or four days and I think I chased at the end of the day it was due and the lady in question hadn't completed it and I had a, a bit of a moan saying this is ridiculous. This, this has just lost me, this preferred supply agreement. It's unacceptable. And I got a call from the director the following day who basically turned it completely on its head and said it was my fault and it was completely my fault. It was my client. It was my preferred supply agreement. It was my 
responsibility to make sure it was completed and sent back on time. And he tore me down a few uh, few levels and actually just said, if you live your life believing that everything is your fault, you will do everything in your power to make sure things are achieved. So in many ways, I've always lived to that mantra ever since. If you sit there and you have something to be done and you know if it's not done, it's your fault, you will make sure, even if you're mentoring or managing other people to get parts of the work done, if it's not completed and it's down to you, you will always manage it more effectively. Yeah, I guess so. Gosh, I'll need to think of that mantra when I have to sit down and do my taxes every year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, what are your major do's and don'ts when it comes to succeeding in recruitment? For me, the major do's are I live by the fact that I do what I say I'm going to do. So if I sit there and say I'm going to give you a call at four on Thursday or I'm going to get three CVs to you by Wednesday, that's what I go out and do. I think within recruitment, recruitment is tarnished with the same brush that there's lots of salespeople that will overpromise and underdeliver. And I think actually, if you just break recruitment down as a service deliverable, and you're going to go out there and you're going to deliver on what you say, you're honest, you're ethical, you're hardworking, you're motivated, ambitious, all of these thoughts, and you're going to push through your self-limiting behavior to achieve what they want you to achieve you'll do very well. I think the biggest don'ts are, as, as we've kind of covered, don't lie, don't overpromise, don't oversell, don't overvalue, and never, never undervalue your time. Time management is so important nowadays because everything passes by so fast. If you don't value your time, someone else will value their time more than you and you'll end up on their agenda. Do you have any last words you'd like to share with our listeners? I think we, the current climate, we need to all club together and we need to help and offer more value. Over the years, recruitment gets a bit of a bad press and quite often it's, it's high on the social media agenda to give recruitment consultants a bit of a knock or a teardown. And actually, there's a lot of very good recruitment consultants, uh, some very ethical, honest, hardworking people that really want to do well and offer value back to the market. I think this current climate allows recruitment consultants to actually start pushing some real value, perhaps while the KPI levels aren't as high as they normally are. And it allows people to actually take a step back and think, how can I improve on the service that I deliver on? For me, I think we, if everybody uses this time well, we'll all come out bigger and better and be more efficient when the markets start to pick up again. It's a nice way to round off our podcast. I want to thank you for joining me. Thanks again for joining us on the Talent Acquisition Innovators Radio. We hope you enjoyed the episode. And of course, if you did, feel free to share it on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, or wherever you're most active. And if you'd like to be updated on when our next podcast is going to be released, you can sign up at blog.recruity.com slash podcast. See you in the next one.